We'll read from verses 1 to 16. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 20. <clears throat> verses 1, <clears throat> excuse me, verses 1 to 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for Daenerys for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to those he said, You too go into the vineyard. And whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. And again, he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did the same thing. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day long? They said to him, Because no one hired us. He said to them, You too go into the vineyard. And when the evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each one received a denarius. When those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more, and they also received each one a denarius. And when they received it, they grumbled at the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the scorching heat of the day. He answered and said to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for Daenerys? Take what is yours and go your way. But I wish to give to this last man the same as you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye evil because I am good? Thus, the last shall be first, and the first last. I'd like to speak to you this morning on this parable of the laborers in the vineyard. Now, more than once as we've looked at these parables, we have seen that there were two reasons why the Lord Jesus spoke to us in parables, and he himself tells us what the reasons are. First of all, he spoke in parables to hide the truth from some, from those who didn't really want it. He spoke in a way to hide the truth from them, and that certainly applies to this parable. You get the feeling that there are many profound things here, and they're hidden, <clears throat> and they're definitely not accessible to the hardened heart. Uh, they are hidden away here in this parable. But secondly, we saw that the Lord brought the parables and spoke in parables to reveal the truth to others. And uh, in Mark, he actually even uh, gives this uh, statement concerning bringing the lampstand in relation to the parables. He, he's talking about the parables, and he says, No man brings a lampstand. Now, other places he applies this to believers, but here he applies it to the parables. He says, no man brings this lampstand in order to hide it under the bed or put it under a bushel basket. Uh, if he wanted to just hide the truth, period, he wouldn't have had to say anything. Just don't say anything. It would have been hidden. But he brought these parables not only to hide the truth, but to reveal the truth to those who long to know the truth, to those who are his chosen he brings the parables for them, and he says, To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. That's a wonderful thing. And so <clears throat> the Lord is saying some things to us here in this parable. What's he saying to us? What is this lamp that he's bringing here? And in attempting to answer that, the first thing we need to do is to see the context. Somebody said that... Uh, a text without the context is a pretext, and that's that's true oftentimes. If you don't have the context, uh, you can teach about anything. You know the famous one, uh, 
Judas went out and hanged himself. And then about another verse, go down and do us do quickly. So you can just go around, pick out verses, and you can teach anything. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Just take the last part of the verse. There is no God. See, that's in the Bible. And so um, we've got to look at the total picture here in order to understand what's being said. And as you do that, if you go back up just a little bit before this in chapter 19 to verse 27, then Peter answered and said to him, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, Truly, I say to you that you who have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, something here he calls what's going to happen in the new earth, the regeneration. Regeneration is not just the new birth of us, but it's the new birth of the world. In the regeneration, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my name's sake shall receive many times as much and shall inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner. And then he ends this off saying again, Thus, verse 16 of chapter 20, Thus the last shall be first, and the first last. He turns it around that way. Uh, from verse 30, he turns it around and says it the other direction. So it's very clear that um, this parable is an explanation of this warning in verse 30. He answers Peter, uh, Peter asks a question, we have left everything and followed you, what then will there be for us? And um, uh, the Lord answers Peter's question in a twofold way. First of all, he gives him a promise, and uh, the promise is, uh, you will sit on these twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel, everyone who has left these houses and so on will receive many times as much and shall inherit eternal life. So there is a promise, but secondly, there's a warning, but many who are first will be last, and the last first. And so uh, the Lord is illustrating in this parable, we know that he's illustrating in this parable, this part of the answer that he gave to Peter, or maybe the whole answer. But at any rate, he's illustrating this matter of what he means by the last being first and the first last. Now, once you've said that, you don't have it all understood yet. I mean, when you look at the parable, what does this mean, Lord? You know, the last shall be first and the first last. But that's what he's talking about here anyway, and that's the context. And so at this point anyway, we just need to bear in mind uh, that uh, this parable somehow relates to what, con what was going on when Peter made asked that question. It relates to that question of Peter's, and it relates to what Jesus said about the first being last and the last being first. Well, having said that then, just sort of a general context, uh, let's begin to look at this lamp that the Lord has brought to us in this parable. First thing he said, now you realize he's talking about realities of what the kingdom of heaven is like. And the first thing he says is, the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner. Now that's the first thing to get. And right away he has set the stage and given us a proper picture of reality. And that is, God is the landowner. He's the landowner. <clears throat> he's the owner of a vast estate, and particularly, he's the owner of the vineyard, the kingdom of heaven. It doesn't belong to men. It belongs to God. He is a great owner. In fact, he owns heaven and earth. Everything is his, and as the owner, he takes center stage. Just this one thing right here, 
If, if men could realize this right here, they don't own anything in this world. There's not anything in this world that anybody owns. God owns all of it. He owns everything there is. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. You go out to those thousand hills and look at all those cows. There's some farmer that might have his brand on them. The fact is, God is the one that owns them. And so he is the landowner, and all men are mere common laborers. That's all men are. They're just common laborers. Uh, he's the one with all the wealth and all the authority and all the power. He is the owner. But notice this. He is a seeking owner. He's a seeking owner. He's going out, and he goes out personally seeking. Now, isn't this an amazing thing? Uh, this man, he has the power. He could have sent out half a dozen different slaves to go out there, but in this case, it's presented. Jesus is telling us he goes out himself and seeks. In John 4, Jesus said, The hour is coming when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for such the Father seeks to worship him. The Father seeking worshiper. Isn't this a gracious, wonderful thought to realize that God is wanting people to worship him? in spirit and in truth. And the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. He comes and seeks. And so he's a seeking owner going out. <clears throat> what else do we see here? Well, we already see the nature of the Christian life. The Christian life is described as laboring in God's vineyard. There's a vineyard, and we get the privilege of, of working in that vineyard. And uh, so what a blessed thing this is. Uh, on many occasions, the Lord Jesus compares the kingdom of heaven to a vineyard. If you just turn over here in chapter 21, in verse 28, he says, What do you think? A man had two sons. He came to the first and said, Son, go to work today in the vineyard. He answered and said, I will, sir. And he did not go. And... Uh, then the second, he answers, I will not, and he regretted it later and went. And uh, he's talking about the tax gatherers and harlots getting into the kingdom of heaven. That's what working in that vineyard has to do with. And verse 33, he says, listen to another parable. Do you realize how many parables Jesus spoke? I mean, we're just getting into a few of them. We've been at it for several weeks or months. Verse 33, there, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard and put a wall about, around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and rented it out to vine growers. That was the Jews. And so there's this vineyard again. And he takes away this vineyard and gives it to others who will bring forth the fruit of the vineyard, the Gentiles. So just an example. Uh, here and there's others where he talks about this kingdom as a vineyard and what the Christian life is is laboring in a vineyard we're not here to coast along and do our own thing and be concerned about our own problems all the time we're supposed to be thinking about God's vineyard and how we can work and labor in his vineyard people can coast to hell but you can't coast to heaven you, you're, 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 uh, you've been uh, sought out by the owner to work in his vineyard. That's why you're here. That's what the time is. The, the time left in the day, you're to be uh, spending laboring in that vineyard. So that's a good thought too. So uh, the Lord has told us here the nature, something about the nature of the Christian life. It's laboring in his vineyard. And it is a great privilege to labor in the vineyard of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And if we want to experience joy and life, we labor for the Lord. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. That's what That was meat and drink to Christ. And so uh, that's the way it is for us. I, I worked... Uh, for a short time, in the summertime, uh, the government had a program for high school kids 
that they could work at Whiteman Air Force Base. And I worked there uh, the summer after I graduated from high school. And uh, I think I took that job because it was higher wages. I believe it was $1.60 an hour, and I was making $1.50 an hour. Anyway, I worked there for one summer, and I, I'm thankful for that experience. I got to see what military life was like a little bit on an air base. And got to see a lot of planes and bombs and that kind of thing. Every now and then you see something that you weren't supposed to. And uh, <clears throat> it was good in that way. But one thing I learned, I saw these servicemen, which we were the lowest on the totem pole. They gave us orders, you know, airman first class or whatever it is which, uh, that you get whenever you just get out of boot camp. Uh, they gave us orders. And so we did what they told us, and what they told us was we're going to ride out here in the back way out here at the outskirts of the base and park out here and smoke and talk instead of working. And those guys wore themselves out trying to keep from working. I mean, it was the most, the days would just drag. They would drag by because they were trying so hard to keep from working. And uh, if they'd just gotten in and done their work, I mean, the day would have been over like that. Everybody would have been happy and felt good, but no, they had to get out of working. Well, it's a lesson, isn't it? I mean, that's where the life is, is laboring in the kingdom of God. My meat is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Well, anyway, <clears throat> this landowner went out seeking laborers for his vineyard. And verse 2, when he had agreed, or sorry, verse 1, he went out early in the morning. And probably in relation to these other time periods, he went out at 6 a.m., so it was early. Early in the morning. And uh, it says that, verse 2, when he had agreed with the laborers for Daenerys for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. So this word agreed is an important word, first of all. It means that this was a good and fair wage, and they knew that. They were perfectly happy to hire out at 6 in the morning for that wage, to work all day for that wage. Another thing here that comes up a little later in the word agreed, uh, you get the feeling here of men who were looking out for their own interest, their own rights. They wanted to make sure that they were being treated fairly. And there may have been a little bit of discussion or how much are you going to pay us or something like that. Now, that didn't come up later. Uh, we'll see that as we go along. <clears throat> but anyway, we'll see more of that as we go down through here. Verses 3 and 4 then. He went out about the third hour, that's 9 in the morning, and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to those he said, you too go into the vineyard. And whatever is right, I will give you. And so they went. Now here, there was some trust in the second group. They didn't say, oh, now look, uh, we've missed a third or a fourth of the day. And so one-fourth off of a denarius, are you going to pay us three-fourths of a denarius? Now we want to make sure you'll do that. No, they didn't do that. They just took his word. Whatever's right, I'll give you. That was good enough for them. And they went ahead and uh, went to work. Now, let me ask you a question. When God says to you, whatever's right, I'll give you, is that good enough for you? Because you know that it's true, don't you? He'll give you whatever's right. Uh, can't we trust Him? <clears throat> well, verse 5 then. It says, again, he went out about the sixth hour, now that was noon, and the ninth hour, 3 p.m., that's getting a little bit unusual, and he did the same thing. He said, whatever's right, I'll give you. And uh, they agreed and went to work. Then, <clears throat> verses 6 and 7, now we start to be amazed here. About the eleventh hour, which is 5 p.m., an hour before quitting time, he went out and found others standing, and he said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day long? They said to him, Because no one hired us. He said to them, You too go into the vineyard. You know, we've uh, 
been looking here uh, week by week at the historical background of these parables. And today I'm not going to spend much time on that, but just think about it. Uh, the Gentiles got into laboring in the kingdom. I mean, people like us got in at the 11th hour. In these last days, that's when the Gentiles got in. And they were standing idle all day. They'd never been hired. And he just comes and hires them. And uh, I think that that's what the Lord is saying here in the broader picture of history. And you know, uh, <clears throat> even this, the uh, landowner calls his foreman to pay the wages. All judgment has been given to the son. The father doesn't judge anyone. The son's going to do that. And uh, he's the foreman that's going to dish out the wages at the end. And I think historically you can understand the parable in that way. And I think that's part of what the Lord's saying. But think of this. Here this landowner's going out at 5 o'clock to get people and hire them. And you begin understanding that he's not hiring people because he needs them. He's hiring them because they need him. He's having compassion on them because they never did get hired. And uh, so he goes out and uh, has compassion on them and gives them a job right at the last minute. And in light of how generous he was to them later, it's amazing. You can see you're just being kind to these people. Beloved, God is not out to drive a hard bargain. He's not out to try to get something at your expense because you don't have anything he needs. You don't have anything to give to him. The only reason he's coming around to you is to give you something. It's uh, wonderful what uh, God is doing when he calls a sinner to himself. He's out to do you good. That's what he was for these people. And so he says, oh, why have you been standing here all day long? You go out too into the vineyard. Now, there's not even a, a general promise made here, apparently. Whatever's right, I'll give you. There wasn't any dickering or anything at all. There was no talk about pay. He just says, you go out and work too. And so they said, let's go. There wasn't any anything related to uh, what they were going to get out of it. They were just glad to get a job. Like Paul Washer told me about the gypsies, he said they don't have any trouble with the idea of God choosing them. They're just so glad to be chosen at all that they're not going to argue with the idea because nobody else has ever chosen them for anything. And uh, that's what was happening here. These men were glad to get work and they weren't going to dicker around. Uh, they went out and started to work. And they might have thought, well, maybe tomorrow we'll be able to work for him again. See? So anyway... <clears throat> They went out. Now, verse 8, and this is a sobering phrase right off the bat, when evening had come. Do we realize, beloved, that evening is coming? Our life is a day. Swift to its close ebbs out life's little day. Evening is going to come. And right now... Uh, a lot of us are moving more and more into the afternoon already. Uh, but for every person, life is short. It's a day. It's one day. And uh, the world itself is a day. Jesus said, we must do the works of him who sent me while it's day. Night is coming when no man can work. The time is short. I remember when I was a boy, uh, we took a trip to Minnesota and uh, out on the lake that night, I saw a lot of these uh, fly-like things, uh, large, that the fish were eating. And we talked to the guide the next day. He said, those are day flies. They only live one day. Now, they come, they, they're, they're born. Now, think of this. These things are born, and they go through their whole life cycle in one day. Well, that's all it is for us. I mean, that's really, it's, I mean, we get to thinking that, you know, time is going along. 
In God's eyes, it's just like that. And in reality, it is just like that. I mean, it's just a day. And uh, in a little while, this place will be torn down. I don't know what will be here. Nobody will remember any of our names. Now, that's really true. I mean, you don't have to go back very far in your own family. You don't even know who this or that person was. You've got to write things, even on possessions. You've got to say, this belonged. I mean, my kids, didn't. none of them knew my dad. None of them know, know who my dad was. He was dead when I was uh, 13 years old. And so none of my children even know my dad. So I'm going to have to write on something. This my, Charles's dad, Leo, gave this to him when he was a little boy. They don't even know who he was. None of them know my grandfather. These are just names that are gone and forgotten. And so we have such a short time. We just have one day to work. It, can't we apply ourselves to the kingdom, to the vineyard, to the work of the vineyard? We've just got one day. And in a little while, evening is going to be upon us. It is amazing how, how easily we lose perspective of what we're supposed to be doing and how short the time is. Evening will come. We must work the works of him who sent us while it's day. Night is coming when no man can work. It'll be too late then. This is our only opportunity right now. We're having the only opportunity we'll ever have to labor for God in his kingdom. Well, um, what's he say then? <clears throat> Verse 8, When evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. Now the shakeup begins. Here the last are being made first. And these ones that worked all day, they might have been a little bit impatient about that. They're tired out. Now they're going to have to wait longer to get their wages. You know, why should I have to do that? But then, amazingly, verse 9, those, who, those hired about the 11th hour came. They were the first ones. And each one received the full wages for a whole day. Now that is amazing. Full, abundant, generous pay. Grace full and free. Now, you think of the thief on the cross. He got in about the last minute. And he, he got to labor in the vineyard about for about 10 seconds. But he did get quite a bit done. In the time that he had, just in the few words that he had to say, there were things that were said there that were recorded in the Bible and a lot of work was done just in that good confession that he made. But think of getting in the last minute. Here he is. He is as close as you can come to being dead. I mean, once you're already nailed up on a cross, you'd think it's over. And here he gets in the last minute, and Jesus says, Today you shall be with me in paradise. He got everything right there just given to him. He gets a full reward right there. He gets eternal life. And he's going to be with Christ in paradise. What a, what a word this is. Even for the person that has wasted his life and has nothing left but an empty shell, maybe he's a 70-year-old man or whatever, there's a possibility even for that person. And Martin Lloyd-Jones tells about uh, there at uh, Sandfields, some of those, or Mrs. Lloyd-Jones in her book tells about what happened there. Some of those men, uh, drunkards, They'd go home, then one man sold fish, I think it was, in his wagon, and he was drunk every night. He'd be so drunk, he'd fall over backwards and pass out on the fish. And the horse knew where to take him. So there they'd go up the hill with him passed out, laying back in the fish, and the horse would take him on home. Seventy-some years old. Gloriously converted. And got to labor in the kingdom for a little while before he went into eternity. Um... What a thing. There's no telling what grace will do. There's no telling what grace can yet do in our lives. It is not a matter of merit. It's a matter of God just graciously giving and giving to those who don't deserve it. Well, um, 
What a wonderful thing this is. Here they came, they'd been working for one hour, and he gave them a full day's reward and wages. Well then, verse 10 through 12. <clears throat> when those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more. And they also received each one a denarius. And when they received it, they grumbled at the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour. You've made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the scorching heat of the day. Now the question is, what was eating on this, these people? Why were they grumbling? Why were they murmuring? <clears throat> Why was it? Well, first of all, it was not because of any injustice done to them. Now, we've got to get that clear. It was not because of any injustice done to them. Suppose they had been the only group. Suppose the landowner hadn't gone out and hired anybody at 12 or at 3 or at 5, and they had been the only group. And uh, they work all day long, and they're expecting their wages, and they come in there, and they get paid a denarius. All of them would have gone home happy and contented. Well, we put in a hard day, but it was a good wage, and I'm glad we got that good wage, and everything's fine. They, were not, they would not have been upset at all. So it was not because they got less than they deserved. That wasn't it. They weren't angry about that. They would have gone home well content if they had been the only workers and they had gotten paid what they got paid. Now that isolates the real problem. They weren't mad because of what they got. They were mad because of what others got. That's what made them mad. You see how wicked this is? They couldn't stand for someone else to get a gift. They couldn't stand for someone else to get a gift. Now, that is the exact opposite of love. Love rejoices when somebody else gets a gift, even if it's at our expense. You know, if you love somebody, you're happy to see a gift given to them, even if it means that you don't get to have it. Now, this wasn't at their expense. It didn't cost them anything. They got perfectly generous wages. But... The fact that somebody else got a gift made them angry. It's the exact opposite of love, and instead it's self. Self rejoices only when self gets, and that's the root of all kinds of jealousy and self-pity and envy. I want it for myself. Paul says here, Look not every man out for his own interest but also for the interest of others. And that's what's going on here. These men are looking out for their own interests. They don't care. They don't have any compassion on those other people. They're not happy to see them blessed. What should my attitude be when I see some other brother or some other sister get something, get some rich blessing, you know, what should my attitude be? Praise God, I'm so happy for them because I love them and I want to see them blessed. Instead, this was self. It was because of God's goodness to other people that they were jealous and envious and full of self-pity. And in fact, there's something worse than this. Not only did they not love these other workers, but they actually had grumbling and bitterness toward the good landowner, toward God. Verse 11, they grumbled at the landowner. And verse 12, you have made them equal to us. Uh, resentment here. <clears throat> now, this is quite a thought. It was God's goodness. I mean, it's the fact they're resentful towards a guy that's good. He was so good, and they're resentful toward him, and it shows how evil it is. But here's the amazing thing. It was his goodness that brought out their wickedness. It was because he was good and kind that they showed how wicked and narrow they were. If you start thinking that God is evil, that he's unfair, and that you're getting the bad end of things, um, that God's not treating you right, it's probably because of something good he's done. <laughs> For somebody else. 
and for some reason you didn't think that you got treated fairly and uh, sin has twisted that around to where God's to blame. Well, that isn't the case. Now, we still haven't looked at what Jesus is saying to us from this parable. What's he saying? Well, briefly, three things here. What is our Lord telling us here regarding the kingdom of heaven? The first thing he's saying is, is that the kingdom of heaven is a righteous kingdom. Nobody ever gets a raw deal. Nobody is ever treated unfairly. Nobody ever gets the short end of the stick from God. Nobody. Nobody's ever treated poorly. Verse 2 they, he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day. They had agreed on this. And uh, verse 13, uh, he answered and said to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? I am doing you no wrong. Beloved, we need to get hold of this and nail it down. God never does anybody wrong. No no one. If you think that God's doing you wrong, or you think he's doing one of your loved ones wrong, or you think he's doing somebody you're counseling wrong, you're deceived. That's all there is to it. God never does anybody wrong. I do you no wrong. You know, you, if you start counseling with someone that's really in a mess, and they say that they're praying, they're crying out to God, they say, I, I've asked God to help me, I've asked God to save me, and God doesn't answer me. Now, you've got a choice there. You can either say God's a liar or man's a liar. And the fact is, God never does anybody wrong. And God never lies. So we can be sure... Whatever situation we're looking at, no matter how hard things appear for some other person or for ourselves, we can be sure God's not going to do us wrong. And that's a, that's a big thing. I mean, if you get in Job's position, it's a big thing to say God won't do anybody wrong. Nobody's going to get a bad deal from God. And that is foundational. That's the foundation of everything else. If we don't get a hold of that, we're going to really mess up in our understanding of the kingdom. So that's the first thing. The kingdom of heaven is a righteous kingdom. Nobody ever gets a raw deal. God treats everybody with wonderful uh, righteousness. Secondly, the Lord is telling us here that the kingdom of heaven is a gracious kingdom. It's a kingdom where people get things they don't deserve to the point that it is just mind-boggling. It's amazing. Uh, It's overwhelming. It's humbling. It's to the point that it's humbling, and it's almost to the point that it's embarrassing. How much? I mean, these guys that worked an hour, it was almost embarrassing to get a full day's wages for that, to walk away with that, and to be around these guys that had worked all day long. And they had gotten a full day's wages for an hour's work. Uh, What gratitude, what joy, what surprise. Uh, The kingdom of heaven is a gracious kingdom. People get things that they don't deserve to the point of embarrassment almost. You see that with Naaman. Uh, he went with all these gifts and all loaded down with all these riches and leprosy to an enemy country and meets the prophet of God. He comes back carrying all of his gifts and everything, couldn't get rid of any of them, couldn't, wasn't allowed by Elisha to give a gift. And uh, on top of that, not only is he coming back with everything he brought, but he's coming back without his leprosy. He's free, he's cleansed of his leprosy. And not only is he cleansed of his leprosy, but he has better skin than any other man around him. He doesn't have any age spots. He doesn't have any wrinkles. 
He's got the skin of a little child. And not only that, but he's bringing back with him two mules loads of earth from the land of Israel so he can come back and build an altar to the true God in his country. And not only that, he comes back with the knowledge that Jehovah is God and all these other gods are false gods. All he came back with, I mean, think of how he's riding along there with everything he came with except his leprosy and coming back with a whole lot more. That's just grace. Uh, it's just uh, heaped upon us. Grace. That's what it is when you become a Christian. You're standing there just marveling at everything that's been showered upon you that you didn't deserve any of. You thought, Lord, if I could just have this much, and He gives you a whole room full. That's what it is to become a Christian. Even this first group got a good deal. Uh, he, they got a generous wage. You think of the promise God, Christ made to Peter. He says that if you lose your houses and lands and all that, you'll receive many times as much and eternal life. Now, that's a pretty good deal, isn't it? That's the promise that he made. Uh, grace, all kinds of grace in the kingdom of heaven. Thirdly, <clears throat> the kingdom of heaven is a sovereign kingdom. It's a righteous kingdom, it's a gracious kingdom, it's a sovereign kingdom. God is the owner, and he gives his gifts to whom he wishes. Verse 14 and 15. Take what is yours and go your way, but I wish to give to this last man the same as you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish? You see that? I wish to give, I just decided to do that. I decided to give to this last man. The same as you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Can I give a gift if I want to give a gift? You see, some of these people, God gave them more proportionally than he gave other people. There was more grace given to them. It was his to give. He gave them a bigger gift. God is able to give his gifts to whoever he wants to give them to. He doesn't have to answer to us on that. And we see different degrees of grace given all through this parable. Some were hired at noon. Some were hired in the afternoon. But there were differing degrees of grace. And don't we see that everywhere that we look in the world? There's great, God gives grace differently. I mean, there's so much uh, grace that has been poured out on us just to be born in a country where we have the possibility of hearing the name of Jesus. I mean, are you telling me that to be born in a place where somebody gives you a Bible isn't more grace than being born in a place where you never hear the name of Christ in your whole life? There's grace involved in that. Different amounts of grace. What grace have we had heaped upon us if we've had people to witness to us about Christ and people to pray for us, to, to listen to the amount of messages and truth that uh, we've heard even here in this building. What grace. <clears throat> Do you think that God has to give you the same gift he gave somebody else? He doesn't. He doesn't have to give you anything. The fact that he gave a gift to somebody else doesn't mean that he has to give it to you at all. If I decide after the meeting today, I take out $50 and give it to Dick. I say, you know, I forgot your birthday again this year, and uh, I just want to give you a present. Does that mean that I have to give $50 to everybody in this room to do right by them? See, that's not right. A gift is a gift. John Reisinger, uh, I believe, was the one that taught this in relation to his one of uh, one of the uh, youth classes that he taught. There were a group of kids in there. Maybe he was telling about another man. I don't know. But anyway, there were a group of kids in there, and they were talking about this principle of grace. And he just graciously gave a dollar bill to one of the guys. And then he gave a dollar bill to another one. Finally, he gave a dollar bill to everybody in the whole group, except for one guy. Well, that's me, isn't it? 
has he done that guy wrong? Well, they, all the other kids, they said, look, we've studied about grace. We've said, you don't deserve this dollar bill. And we didn't deserve it, and he gave it to us. I'm glad he did, and they were rejoicing about that, and that you don't deserve grace. And they got the principle real clearly. Then he took out a $5 bill and gave it to the kid that didn't have any. <laughs> that was the end of that. <laughs> well, we've got to get a hold of this, don't we? God doesn't have, I mean, if, he, if you want what you deserve, I want my rights, I want what I deserve, fine, you're going to be in hell. That's all it boils down to. Now you start looking at everything God has heaped upon us and gifts, just gracious, generous gifts. <clears throat> the kingdom of heaven is a righteous kingdom, a gracious kingdom, a sovereign kingdom. Let me just say a little bit. There's a warning here against sinful attitudes, isn't there? We've talked about this down through here. There's a warning here against any kind of a mercenary attitude, first of all. We say, I'm going to do this, what am I going to get out of it? Now that was the question that Peter asked right off, wasn't it? Lord, we've done this and this, what are we going to get? And if we have that attitude, you know, Lord, I'll do such and such, what am I going to get out of it? What am I going to get today when I go to the meeting? What am I, if I read my Bible every morning, what am I going to get? You know, a mercenary attitude toward God, trying to make sure <clears throat> that He does right by us. And uh, it's a self-centered thing. It's not serving God because He's worthy and because it's such a privilege and, and serving Him for His glory, but it's trying to get something. <clears throat> you know, we can trust Him. Whatever's right, we know this. He's not going to do us wrong. Anything that we do for Him, we can be sure of this. God's not going to do us wrong, and He's going to take care of us and do whatever's right. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, I think, made the statement that usually if you, if you take that mercenary attitude toward God, you're likely to get what you bargained for and nothing more. If you just leave it with Him, He'll just shower you with blessings. Because, see, your attitude is right. And you're concerned about Him and His glory and love for Him. So it's a warning against a mercenary attitude. It's a warning against a self-righteous attitude. You see that coming out here at the end. It said you, verse 12, You've made them equal to us who have borne this burden, this scorching heat and this burden, you know. You've made them equal to us. See, they're self-righteous. They're looking at themselves as better. And this is exactly what Jesus talked about in the parable of the two sons, the, the prodigal son. You remember the one that stayed at home? He says, now look what you've done for him. You made him equal to me. Because many who are first shall be last and the last first. There's a lot of people think they've done all this, that, and the other. And they're going to find out that some little quiet person that they don't even know about uh, is put at the head of the line and they're at the back of the line. But we've really got to be care careful about thinking that we deserve something. We ought to rejoice anytime we see somebody um, blessed and elevated, realize that uh, we have nothing and no claim upon God. And that's the, the third thing. This is a warning against losing this, this, a sense of our own sinfulness and ill desert. <clears throat> In other words, losing our gratitude for anything that we do get from God. When you first become a Christian, you're not saying, well, now I want to be up here in the front in the kingdom of God. When you first become a Christian, you cannot believe that you even got in at all to the feast. You're not quibbling about what seat you're going to get. You're marveling that you're even allowed to be there. And that's because we have a sense of our sinfulness, how we don't deserve to have the least place. I, I, we looked at that one was a Wednesday night. I'd just be a doorkeeper in the house of my God. Um, that would be sufficient. If I, if I get to be in heaven at all, if I get to sweep up the floor around air, all of your feet in heaven, I'll have reason to thank God forever that I'm not in hell. 
You see, that's what it is, realizing our sinfulness. And uh, when you realize that, it does away with this griping about God blessing somebody else. Think of Joseph and his brothers. They had a problem with jealousy. Their, their father gave him this multicolored tunic, and they were jealous about that. Remember what happened by the end of the story? They were just glad that Joseph didn't kill them. And he would heap these gifts in Benjamin's sack, you know, and that's fine with us. That'd be fine. If he wants to give Benjamin an extra portion, that'll be fine with us. We don't even deserve to live. It was all taken care of. And, you know, sometimes as I've read that, I've thought, well, Joseph's almost being cruel here, you know. Put all this extra stuff in Benjamin's sack and give him all these extra blessings and give him a bigger portion of everything. What he was doing was, he's saying to his brothers, are you still going to be jealous? Are you going to be thankful that you're even alive? And I think it's, you know, God's speaking to us in that. That's what it is. Well, this is the laborers in the vineyard. It's a blessed thing to be a part of a kingdom where people get a lot more than they deserve, isn't it? I mean, what kind of kingdom would we want to be in? Uh, a kingdom where people are just blessed beyond their wildest imaginations. And uh, where everybody gets what's right and good. Well, let's pray. Father, we confess today that you have dealt so bountifully and so graciously with us. Help us to give our life to you and to labor for you in the time that's left in our day, the day that we have to labor. Help us to labor for you in your vineyard with joy and thanksgiving, knowing that, that whatever's right and beyond, you'll give to us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.